it amazes me how much construction is going on in the Edmond, Oklahoma City area. There's new houses, apartments, condos, whatever, going up everywhere, it seems like. And along with that comes stores and banks and gas stations and certainly restaurants. And of course, there's new lanes being added to roads and new exits and entrances to them. And we can't forget the schools because all these new people have kids, or a lot of them do anyways. Uh, they're building new schools or building additions onto existing schools. And I'm not sure what the attraction is here. Uh, is it jobs? I mean, there's no huge industry here uh, that I'm aware of. There's a, a, a lot of um, smaller businesses of different kinds. Uh, it may be the cost of living. Cost of living is better here than it is in many places. Maybe the political climate uh, is more conservative here than it is in some states. Uh, and actually, there's fewer people here if you're moving here from Los Angeles or from Chicago or, you know, a, a bigger city. And so there's not as much congestion as there is in a lot of the cities. Uh, maybe it's the, the warmer climate. If you're moving here from uh, Nebraska or Minnesota or wherever, uh, you get to enjoy a warmer climate. But of course, where we are here, it also brings tornadoes, which uh, is certainly not a positive thing. But for us and for others, I know it's been family. And that's the best reason I can think of, especially as you're getting older. Uh, you know, I feel sorry for those that don't have that connection. You know, I know of many that, you know, they're getting up in years and they, maybe their spouse has passed away and they're by themselves or maybe they were never married. Uh, any siblings they had are gone and, you know, maybe there's no nieces or nephews, no real family connection. And, you know, they're not involved in a church. And so they don't have that church family connection. So I guess what I'm saying to that is you better get connected while you can. Because the time is going to come when you're going to need somebody to, to lean on. And it's good to have that. And a church family can certainly be a substitute for a lot of other things that you may be missing out on. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks for today. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for this message. So, Father, just open our ears, our minds, our hearts, and let your Holy Spirit guide us as we look at your word and uh, maybe see ourselves in some of uh, what I'm going to say as you lead me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's one thing that we all have in common, everybody has in common. It doesn't matter how old you are or young you are. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what language you maybe speak as a first language. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. It doesn't matter, you know, where you live, you know, if you live out in the 
country out in the boonies somewhere or if you live uh, in the city. It, it doesn't matter what your education is. You know, if you can barely read and write or if you've got a doctorate degree in maybe one or more things, everyone has this in common, okay? We all sin. Everybody does, okay? You might be the nicest person out there, but you still sin because we all do. Romans 3.23 in the King James says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, the Greek word there for short means that we have come behind. We're destitute. That's the, the worst. We fall. We lack. Okay, so we've all come short of that glory of God. We all lack the glory of God. So my comprehension of the word short, you know, to say that we've all come short of the glory of God is we've messed up big time. That's what it means. Again, not depending on who you are. Okay, you can be the Pope, you can be a, a drug dealer, and whatever in between. And do you know what we did then, you know, when we messed up big time? We did some more things wrong. And we just kind of seemed to do it over and over and over again. Okay, maybe not the same thing, but sometimes it is the same thing. But why do we do that? Why do we have that sin in our lives? Well, hopefully, I can help you and I both discover through this message. Now, the dictionary definition of sin is, as a noun, it's an offense against religious or moral law. It's an action that is or is felt to be highly reprehensible. It's a sin to waste food. Yeah, and it is. Okay? Uh, and it's a sin to waste anything. Often, it's, it's a serious shortcoming, or it's seen as a transgression of the law of God. It's, as a, it's a, a vitilated state of human nature in which the self is estranged from God. Now, my vocabulary, I guess, isn't that big. So I wasn't sure what vit vitiated meant. It, and it means to spoil or impair the quality or efficiency of something. Okay, so it's us doing wrong. And sin as a verb is, you know, where you committed a sin or you commit an offense or a fault. So... I'm not going to sit here and list my sins for you. And you can't list your sins for me, to me, but maybe we need to sit down and list our sins to ourselves. But just imagine if I did sit here and say, okay, I have trouble in this area and this area, and I keep on doing that, and I don't do this, and, and all. As I was listing those off, some of you would be sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, that's me. I can relate to that one. 
you know, hey, I do that sometimes. And, oh, man, I thought I was the only one that struggled with that. Or, yeah, I know just how you feel. Because some of our sins are common sins that just get committed by everybody sometimes or a lot of people. So Paul gives us a couple of lists of sins that are committed by many of us. And I'm going to give a rundown on a few of those later. But for now, let's take a look at sin in some other places in Scripture. Well, sin started out in the Garden of Eden with Adam. Eat this, not that. Okay? They were told that they could eat anything in the garden. Anything. And, you know, God had created everything in that garden. And they could have any of it that they wanted. But what did they end up wanting? That one thing that he said, don't eat that. Okay? Eat these hundreds, these thousands of other things, but don't eat this one thing. And so they just felt that they had to have what they shouldn't have. Well, this was no surprise to God. And he had a long-term plan set in place. Actually, an eternal plan that would come later. So let's look at their children. Okay, Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. Okay, Abel was a shepherd. Cain, he was a farmer. He worked, worked the earth. And they both brought an offering to the Lord, and the Lord accepted Abel's, but he rejected Cain's. Now, Cain was, as most translations put it, angry. Okay, the King James says that he was wroth. Now, I wasn't sure if I'd ever been wroth before, so I, I've looked that up too. And it means you blaze up in anger. You're incensed. So he was more than just angry. And that was probably not his first sin, but the anger was the first sin in this case. So... Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.26, in your anger do not sin. Okay, so you know Cain could have gotten angry and been upset about this, but he didn't have to sin. But we know that in his anger, Cain murdered his brother. Why? Well, Cain's anger really wasn't with Abel. He was angry with God. Have you been there when sometimes you just don't understand, you know, God, I've been praying and praying about this and you're not answering me? Or, you know, I prayed about it and look what happened. You know, I deserved that job and you gave it to this deadbeat that comes in late all the time. And you gave that job to him or her. And so you get you're angry with God. You're not angry with your boss. But you may take it out on your boss. So you, you get mad about God, or you get mad at God, and you take it out on someone. Maybe your spouse, maybe your boss, maybe your child, maybe your friend, maybe a stranger. So you can't 
punch God and you can't shake him and say, well, why God? Why did that happen? Why didn't this happen? So somebody else pays. Someone else is hurt physically, emotionally, or verbally. Well, after Cain had done this, he thought he could get out of it. Okay? I've been there. You know, I realized I've done something stupid that I knew that I shouldn't have done, but I went ahead and did it anyways. And I tried to figure some way that I can get out of it. But when God went to Cain, Cain says, well, am I my brother's keeper? Well, Cain was really saying, you know, well, how should I know? You know, I, I don't know where Abel is. You know, that's not my problem. But Cain and God both knew. Let's take a look at a proverb concerning sin. There's a lot of them that do. But let's look at Proverbs 28, 13. This is from the NIV. It says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. We know that we don't conceal our sins from the Lord. Okay, God knows our sins more than we do. And so we can't hide them from him. But I believe that the proverb is maybe speaking about trying to conceal our sins from others. Even though we may not be concealing as much as we think. Okay, Numbers 32, Moses is telling the Israelites what they need to be doing. In verse 23, he says, But if you fail to keep your word, then you will have sinned against the Lord. And you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Our sins will find us out. Okay, because our sin is also against the Lord. We may sin against another person, but really it comes down to the fact that we're sinning against the Lord. There's numerous times in Scripture where sin caused people a lot. It cost them a lot, and it caused a lot of problems. Sometimes their lives or the lives of others were lost because of somebody else's sin. Look at David. His sin with Bathsheba cost Uriah his life. Uriah was an innocent victim. Okay, David had sex with Bathsheba. She got pregnant. David found out about it. He called Uriah back home and, you know, just assumed that Uriah was going to be sleeping with his wife. Well, he didn't. And so the next night, David got him good and drunk and figured, you know, now for sure he will. But again, he didn't. And so it ended up costing him his life. Okay, we find another victim of David's sin in 2 Samuel 12, verses 13 and 14. It says, Then David confessed to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, 
because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. David's punishment was the death of an innocent child. The child had done nothing wrong, but the child lost its life because of the sin of David. Seems pretty harsh. Really, you might say that it seems unfair. But the Lord had great plans for David. And he needed to get David straightened out. He needed to get David headed in the right direction. Get his head on straight. In Psalm 51 is a place where David goes to the Lord about his sin. Nathan woke him up to his sin. Even though David obviously knew it was wrong. He knew being with Bathsheba was wrong, and he certainly knew that having Uriah killed was wrong. Most translations use sin and transgression, and they both mean basically the same thing. They both come from different Hebrew words. But now David is seeking forgiveness in Psalm 51, and eight times he uses the word sin or something like it because he knows that that sin has a hold on him. And he knows that God knows, and so he's got to get things right. Well, then we have good old Samson, a mighty man of God. Well, sort of. Samson had been called by God before he was even born. And Samson grew up, and he wanted a wife, or at least he wanted a woman. And the first was a Philistine woman. And they got married, but she ended up with the best man. Well, Samson got mad, and he burned the grain fields of the Philistines. So next he hooks up with a prostitute in Gaza. And then after that comes Delilah. And she tricks him, and he loses his power, and he's arrested. In the end, he kills a bunch more Philistines before he dies himself. Samson's sins mount up as he lives his life. Okay, doing the things that he knows that he shouldn't be doing, but he just thinks because of the powerful, physically powerful person he is, he can just kind of do whatever he wants. He was called by God, but wanting his own way most of the time. That might sound familiar to us as well. Well, then we can look at numerous kings and judges throughout the Old Testament. Some started out as good, but ended up sinning big time. And then as we get into the New Testament, we see that it's really no different it's a new era and new sin. Kind of like now, we keep inventing new ways to sin. John the Baptist's ministry was to get people to admit their sin and repent. I think everyone knows when they are sinning. Some care, some do not. Some don't care about sin until it it's home and causes a problem there. 
Well, John the Baptist knew his calling. Okay, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. So that was John, the messenger, the way preparer. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, starting in verse 6, tells us this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, but he came only as a witness to the light. John was not a meek man by any means. Matthew 3, 7 says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, excuse me, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Not the way these religious leaders were accustomed to being treated. But he was not afraid to point out sin in anyone, in the common man, or in those that felt they were better than everyone else. So let me go to a couple of Paul's sin lists and see how often he steps on my toes and your toes. In Galatians 5, Paul is writing about the life that we should be living, life in the Spirit. Starting in verse 19, and I'm using the message here. It says, it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental or emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfying wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's not mincing any words here. Paul is telling it just like it is. What he has seen, what he has heard. Sometimes I need to hear that. To have someone to just kind of lay it down before me and say, you know, this is where you're wrong, and this is what you need to do. Well, in Colossians 3, verses 5 and 6, I'll use the, the New Living Translation. And this isn't quite as brutal as what he told the Galatians. Paul, again, has been talking about living a new life for or in Christ. So he says, so put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy. 
For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Okay? God knows. God knows when we're acting in a greedy manner. God knows when we're lusting over someone or something that we want. Okay? God always knows. I like the way Solomon writes Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19. He says, These are the things the Lord hates. These six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. Again, it's like Solomon is writing this and he starts out, these are six things the Lord hates. No, no, wait a minute, I just thought of another one. No, there's seven things he detests. Okay, and those seven things, man, they cover a lot of territory. I hate it when I sin, but God hates it more. You know, so... I can relate to that. You know, my kids growing up, they were not angels, but they weren't terrible either. But if they did something they knew was wrong, you know, a sin, it hurt. You know, as their father, to see them doing something that they knew and I knew they shouldn't be doing. Because you don't want to see your children messing up. Well, Neither does God. And that's why there's a penalty for sin. There has to be. Okay, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, Eve had a conversation with the serpent about this in the garden. Because the garden or the the serpent said, "You won't die," meaning if she ate the fruit of the tree of life. And he's saying, you know, that's that's not what God meant. You know, he didn't mean that you're going to eat that and bam, you're dead. He meant that you'll be dead to himself. You'll be dead to the Lord. God knows that sin creates a wedge between us and him. And he doesn't want that. And neither should we. You may have been in a conversation with somebody about unforgivable sin. Some people say that suicide is, you know, taking your life. You know, that that's murder and that's an unforgivable sin. I don't agree with that. Okay? Because the Bible doesn't tell us that that's an unforgivable sin. Some people believe that divorce is an unforgivable sin. The Bible tells us that God hates divorce, but he doesn't say that he's not going to forgive you. I know of a person that was leaving their spouse, and another person came to them and said, well, you're going to burn in hell because of this. Well, no, I don't think so. Because there's only one sin that cannot be forgiven. And we have 
Jesus's word on this. In Luke 12, 10, it says, Everyone who speaks against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Well, what does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Okay, the dictionary says it's to speak in a way that shows irreverence for God or something sacred. So what Jesus is saying is, you can say what you want about me and you'll be forgiven, but don't do the same with the Holy Spirit or you're going to pay eternally. Well, lastly, we have the prodigal son. Well, what was his sin? Well, the first one that we know of is the fact that he was wishing his father was dead. Okay? Uh, because he wanted his inheritance now. It's like, you know, Dad, I've been waiting around for you to die. You just keep hanging on. You know, you've been sick, but you keep getting better. And so, I, man, just give me my half. Give me my inheritance, and I'm out of here. So we don't know what else, but it tells us that he was wasting all that he was given on riotous living. Okay, so he wasted everything, which is a sin. And so we know that, you know, he was one that we can look at and say, you know, he's got all these sins, but he comes back to the Father and is forgiven. I want to share the words to a song that for some of you it may you know, bring up a, a memory because this is a 1977 song by Don Francisco. And if you're not familiar with Don Francisco, get online and find some of his music. It's kind of a folk type song. Uh, you know, all of his songs were uh, acoustic guitar and um, that's how he started out in uh, like a folk band and rededicated his life to the Lord and started singing for the Lord. And I haven't heard anything of him or about him for a long time, but I looked online and he, you know, had something he had put out back in 2017. But listen to the words of this song, because the name of the song is, I don't care where you've been sleeping. It says, I loved you long before the time your eyes saw the day and everything I've done has been to help you on the way. But you took all that you wanted, then at last you took your leave and traded off a kingdom for the lies that you believed. And although you've chosen darkness with its miseries and fears, although you've gone so far from me and wasted all those years, even though my name has been spattered in the mire in which you lie, I'd take you back this instant if you'd turn to me and cry. I don't care where you've been sleeping. I don't care who's made your bed. I already gave my life to set you free. There's no sin you could imagine that is stronger than my love. And it's all, and it's all yours if you'll come home again to me. When you come back to your senses, 
and you see who's been to blame. Remember all the good things that were yours with just my name. Then don't waste another thought before you change the way you're bound. I'll be running out to meet you. If you'll only turn around. I don't care where you've been sleeping. I don't care who made your bed. I already gave my life to set you free. There's no sin you could imagine that is stronger than my love. And it's all yours if you come home again to me. The good news is there's forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all, all wickedness. Let's pray. Father, I just lift up my brothers and sisters to you that, that struggle with sin, and we all do. Lord, help us to, to come back to you because you're so ready to forgive and help us to keep our lives going in the direction that you want them to go, not the way that we've chosen. So, Father, help us to not just know what's right, but learn to do what's right. And, Lord, I lift up anyone that may be listening that, that doesn't know you, that doesn't know that there is forgiveness out there. Lord, let them know that their sin can't be greater than your forgiveness. That no matter what they've done or how many times they've done it or who they've done it to, that, Lord, they can be forgiven. So, Lord, let them pray like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I need forgiveness. I know I'm a sinner, and I'm in need of a Savior. Thank you for your Son, who died for my sins, who rose from the dead, and is coming again. Lord, help me believe all that your Word tells me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.